0: Y'all ready for this? Dun, 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 right? You know that song, right? Of course we do. Oh, you started recording. <laughs> you, you know, of course started. I did. <laughs> hey, welcome in. God's Word During Exile. We're here. Uh, we actually took last week off, and it felt kind of good. Uh, but you guys didn't notice that because we were one week ahead. Isn't that amazing? With the group that we have here, that we could be one week ahead of a schedule. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. So today, uh which we're, we're going to be going through, Yeah, which we're not. So, but that's okay. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll record a doubler at some point and then we'll get ahead of the schedule again. So, um so today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 and we're going to be talking about some horses. Who doesn't love horses? My sister used to love My Little Ponies.
1: My my father-in-law hates horses. Oh,
2: so do you think the four horses are My Little Pony horses?
1: I mean,
0: I'm not saying that they couldn't be. I'm Please. just saying that, um, <laughs> like, <clears throat> let's just say I would be much more apt to uh, combing these horses' <laughs> hair. Than, uh, I'm just just saying
3: So Uh, so
0: we'll see Huss almost lost his coffee uh, Which would have been absolutely great
3: Mike Uh, are you saying that you got the impression That uh, these are pretty Adorable when you read through this text
0: Oh I didn't say that they were Adorable but I'm just saying like if they have Hair and they're like my little ponies I would love to comb their hair that's the one thing That I remember about my little ponies
3: I didn't know that was a thing for you But (laughs)
0: hey embrace it man i had two sisters one older one younger there was a lot of hair brushing in my life
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
3: sounds uh, like my uh is. my home with uh four daughters and, and my <laughs> my wife with their blonde and red hair there you go you I'm surprised gotta, they you haven't had made it. you grow yours out so they can braid it yeah well you know they try with my beard sometimes and Occasionally, I've had COVID hair, you know, harder to get a haircut these days. So, Mm.
0: hey, so let me ask you a question with all your daughters. Do you know how to braid hair? Matt?
3: Well, you know, a lot of times I say I don't know how because then I don't have to do it. But uh, I know the basics. It it looks pretty bad. I know how to do it, but not well.
0: I could picture Matt to be one of those guys. I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook, where the dad takes the shop back and he just Oh yeah. Sucks the girl's hair back yeah. and just puts ponytails in.
3: Usually when they ask me to do it, it ends up being a side pony or like straight on the top or every once in a while I've done the unicorn horn. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and especially unicorn. with my yeah toddlers Here's... with a unicorn ponytail is the best.
2: You think one of the four horses is a unicorn? Oh, I mean,
0: that actually was a jeopardy question a couple months ago about, Uh, what mythological creature is spoken about in scripture. And apparently in the King James, the King James references unicorns in their translation. So that's
1: a super fluty translation right there.
0: (laughs) So um, I think that it's only appropriate since we're talking about horses that all of us put on our best cowboy. I won't ask for an outfit, but our best cowboy impersonation and because I know that there are individuals who love it when I point people out, when I attempt to point you out and I say your name, give us a good little yee-haw. We'll see how it goes. So since I know Mike Hussey is going to be the, probably the only one who's going to play along, I'm going to let him go last. Uh, but I'm going to say um, uh, Matt Nelson is here. Yeehaw. Nice. See, that was good. And then Ben is gonna be over here in this corner. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> we got Ben to do it. Nice. And so I'm gonna say that Hus. he's over here. Yeah. All right. Hey, great job, guys. If you're at home, you want to drop a little no. comment down below? You, you, you want to get, an get out of
3: the yeehaw. You can't get out of this.
0: I don't know what you're gonna
3: Mike Natel <laughs> Here he is, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yeehaw!
1: Let's go to prayer. Then,
0: nope, Mike, you're up. Right, let's prayer.
1: pray. Yeehaw. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for today, and thank you for another chance to dig into Your Word, into the Book of Revelation. Lord, thanks for the sixth chapter as we see the Lamb starting to open up the seals and uh, and give us a picture of of uh, what is happening in our world and what's going to continue to happen until until Jesus returns. Lord, I ask that you just bless our study as we look at this chapter. Lord, um, show us our sin, bring us to repentance, and show us Christ, um, our Savior, who lived, suffered, died, and rose again, that we might have life and life eternal. By your word, strengthen our faith in him, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Ben, will you read for us that uh, sixth chapter of the book of Revelation? Because we're definitely finishing the whole thing today.
2: Uh, Revelation chapter 6, reading from the English Standard Version. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Come. and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is the right response, right? Ben?
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: All right, here we are in chapter six of the book of Revelation. I don't know about you guys, but I have this tendency, and maybe many others do too, um, when I get to a fresh chapter of scripture, whether it be here in the book of Revelation or anywhere else, uh, that my brain just kind of resets, and I forget what came before this, and just uh, take my new chapter for what it is all on its own. Um, But doing that is a mistake, right? context is always key um so what is our context of revelation chapter six before we really start digging into these verses what should we keep in mind from what came before to help us understand what's what's coming
3: up well, i think I remember, just oh go ahead, ahead Matt. oh just gonna say really briefly that uh you know we had that picture of the the throne of god and and we've got the the lamb um as well and uh, the four living creatures here all being represented just prior to this and and uh and that beautiful scene of the sea of glass and and the uh, the praises going out to the lord himself and to the lamb
2: yeah and um along with that we remember that what we were seeing you know in uh In chapter five, as well as um, we saw some of that in chapter four, two, what we have is, you know, Jesus being enthroned, seated on the throne in in heaven as the lamb who was slain, right? And so this is uh, giving us, you know, that imagery kind of depicting Jesus' ascension into heaven after his resurrection and his receiving the kingdom that Daniel speaks of. Uh, when he sees the one like the son of man ascending to the ancient of days and receiving an everlasting kingdom. So Jesus has done this. He is on the throne with, uh, with the father, right. And he receives the worship of, of the creatures and of his saints. Right. And so, um, he is the same one then who from the throne opens these seals and we should remember, I think we, Covered this. Uh, Jason was telling us about this uh, in our recording uh, with him that, you know, the seals and then later the trumpets and the censors are all covering the same same events just told from, you know, from a different perspective kind of a thing, different angle on it in each one. So they're all depicting the same time period. So what's coming from these seals, trumpets, censors, is coming from if we could place any kind of a particular time on it, we could say from uh, the time that Jesus has ascended and is enthroned. And so we're not, again, waiting for some ambiguous time in the future for these things to happen, but rather they have been happening. Uh, They are happening now and will continue to happen until Jesus returns. So this is covering this entire period you know, from Jesus' ascension and enthronement to his second coming. And so, you know, um, so that can help us just understand that um, the stuff that we're going to look at, that we're hearing about, um, yeah, it's happening now. It has been happening, will continue to happen. So we don't have to try to mess around with predicting the future, which never goes well, and trying to reconcile all kinds of complicated timelines and this, that, and the other thing um it's much more simple than that it's hey all of these things are going to be happening all of the time until Jesus returns and so yeah, that helps to kind of lay some of the the groundwork for us here all right i'm going to predict the future right now one
1: future prediction uh ben's going to say something else wicked smart during this video
2: what about like virtuously smart
1: No, wicked Is that a possible? Oh, okay. No, no, not (laughs) virtuously.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, holy wicked All right. So I think, you know, talking about context, uh, we see in the first verse that we read there about the lamb opening one of the seven seals. And we had seen in the previous chapter then that only the lamb was worthy to open the seals. I think this helps set the stage then for um, what's happening here to understand... purposes behind it and and the role of good and evil or god and the devil and all of what unfolds here because there have been some wildly different interpretations of this chapter and and uh, attributing you know the power behind all of it to various places and so i think that helps us understand this appropriately then when we see how that chapter before and the lamb being the one worthy to unfold all this, to break the seals. And now he's again being introduced in the first verse as the one at work here primarily. Yeah, that's a really good point, Matt.
1: Um, and we're going to dig into those things a little bit more in the future. But uh, I was thinking, as, as Ben was talking about how we're not jumping ahead to the future, you know, chapter six isn't a, a time of like teleporting way off to the future, but it's connected to chapter five and all those things that came before it. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why it is so important to not just, you know, okay, chapter six, reset the brain new thing. Because when we do that, it makes it really easy to kind of pull things out of their context. You know, If we just take chapter six as a sealed unit and forget what came before, well, it's really easy to set it off in some future time or, or throw it into the past or do whatever we wanna do with, do with it. Um, so kind of forgetting those chapter breaks is almost a helpful thing and reading it more like a narrative than, than sections that are clearly defined and broken off from one another, right? so let's uh let's jump into what we've got here matt you brought up the the point that there are a whole lot of different interpretations of this chapter and there really are when we talk about that first horse um i've got you know a couple three um that'll that have been pretty popular at one time or another that come to mind um but you also talked about the authority of where they come from which is really important And our first verse makes it pretty clear, um, like whose authority is sending forth these things, right? So I watched the lamb and he opened one of the seals, right? And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. So where is the the stuff coming from the seal coming from?
3: I mean, it seems pretty clear that it's coming from the lamb, and and I would say that it's also not like the Lamb opened this, and it's not like he opened Pandora's box and accidentally let out this stuff that was out of his control. And right, because he's the one who is worthy; he has authority over this. This was uh, meant for him to do this, and and uh, and so this is not something that's like out of his control. But in fact, I think we would say that this is coming from him from the throne of God, which the lamb is now sitting on, and a part of God's purpose. And, and that that's quite different from what we see, you know, some people arguing for here. And I don't know what the listeners have heard, or, or maybe all of what you guys have heard on this. But when I think about the various ideas of behind these horsemen in particular, and what what comes out of the seals, it seems like, you know, some some Christians teach, and and actually a lot of like Hollywood and unbelievers who like to talk about the four horsemen because these guys show up in, in, uh, in TV shows and movies periodically, and and uh, they all seem to think that they are powered by the devil, that he's the one really in control, and this seems to be. Kind of a, a last ditch effort like all of the powers of the devil's now devil are now you know coming to a head and uh and he's given his biggest effort here sending forth his four horsemen um maybe like lord of the rings with the ring wraiths right coming for you know the power of the evil one and uh and now we got to be really scared because maybe he's gonna win um and this is all from from his hand or his throne you could say Uh, the throne of the earth or whatever so
1: nerdy question though
3: uh the ringwrights they were the nazgul right
1: that would be the official term nazgul they're not the murdral Mm -hmm. i'm confusing my nerdy things nazgul okay yeah murdral uh wheel of time great great stuff go enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) yeah on a different note that was a great point Matt. (laughs) i think it might be um I think it might be helpful rather than now that we kind of know where this authority for these riders has come from that they are sent by god permitted by god um it might be helpful to just kind of give an overview of the four horsemen together um kind of the things that they share and their in their combined purpose before we get in and kind of dig the pieces of out of these verses um do you guys have any good good overview stuff for these four that would be helpful to share first
3: well i mean just like on the most basic level maybe they are with them comes trouble and trial on the earth, right? And and maybe particularly for the people of God, but just just awful stuff follows when they come.
0: I got a pretty cool picture that I found that seems like a pretty good interpretation. Here's what it looks right. like. I thought this was pretty cool looking. It's by an artist. His name is Victor, I'm not going to try to pronounce the rest of his name. That's a good choice. Um, but there it is. So I thought that that was kind of interesting.
1: What is in the back? Ba- oh, that's the, the lamb. That's the lamb all the way in the background with the, with the rainbow oh, yeah, behind there? it.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was cool too. Up top, yeah. And you can see angels in the clouds up here. So, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty cool interpretation.
1: I want to know why the rider in red's not wearing clothes, though.
0: (laughs) Is he totally Even he's wearing. He's got a little.
1: uh, He's got like a a loincloth on. But I mean, even the even the skeleton had
2: clothes on. I don't understand. Um, I guess too. Just as we as we look at this, um, it's helpful to remember that you know we're dealing with what's often called apocalyptic literature. Highly you know, vivid imagery. And, and so basically what's going on, because, you know, John uses the imagery of like, what he's seeing as horses, right? And so we know what horses are, you know, and so um, it's a symbol that makes sense to us. So this would seem to indicate then that what is being described by these four horsemen are natural, occurrences, things that we would, we would naturally understand rather than something supernatural. So, you know, whatever is, uh, is coming about with these things by, you know, by natural forces, by fellow, you know, human beings, things like that, things that we can understand rather than something that's strictly supernatural. Um, so So for example, could
3: you, could you unpack that for us? Like give, give us the line of argument why you would, why you would say that, that, that when it's something natural that we understand like horses, that that means that this is a, kind of an earthly or worldly kind of occurrence, not a spiritual or, or how did you say it? A st- um, strictly supernatural supernatural. Yeah. Um,
2: I think it, it comes a lot from just kind of observing patterns in apocalyptic literature, but like as a contrast, for example, in chapter nine, uh, when John describes the demons coming out of the abyss, he doesn't describe them in terms of things that we would observe in in nature. So he describes them as being like locusts with the like heads of a lion or stuff like that. Or we could think of the the four living creatures that we you know we would never see something like that in the quote unquote natural world. And so that would seem to you know to indicate okay you know, this is something beyond us. This is something strictly supernatural, because we would never see something like this. Whereas, you know, a horse and a rider is like, oh, yeah, we know those things. We know bows, we know swords, we know that kind of thing. So it seems to, um, that seems to be a pattern in this kind of literature that a way to communicate through the imagery, like, okay, so this is more quote-unquote naturally driven stuff this is more strictly supernatural something we wouldn't find uh just by going out and looking around i don't know if that hence anything
3: and so the result then the kind of thing that we would be looking for in what's happening from from the work of these these horsemen is natural kind of occurring troubles like like troubles on the earth with um, natural disasters and with war and famine Mm -hmm. and these kind of things.
2: Yeah. So we're not going to see, you know, like embodied demons or whatever, you know, wreaking all this havoc. It's going to be, Oh yeah. These are, these are normal experiences that, that we have, you know, war, famine, death, destruction, you know, we're, we're well familiar with those things, um, and so I don't know if that makes some kind of kind yeah. of sense. So we're, uh, I don't know. I guess I guess mostly to say we're not we're not going around trying to see you know as it were demons under every stone, kind of a a thing where it's strictly a supernatural kind of thing that we're looking for. But it's like okay, we see this all around us. We experience all of this. This is what is happening. You know war and And, famine and things like that and it's like okay this is what we're talking about
3: and we all do see that right and the the Mm -hmm. church has seen that through all of its ages and so when we see war and famine and covid and the black plague and and uh civil war and all of these things around us we go hey yeah, i recognize that and that's what it's talking about in revelation right isn't that so yeah. I have, a, I have an
1: important thing here because one of my youth group kids has been begging me to tell her where COVID is in the book of Revelation. So Michael Lynn, if you watch this, I will buy you your favorite candy because Matt just told you exactly where COVID is in the book of Revelation. Sorry to interrupt <laughs> that. It was important, Ben. <laughs> drop a knowledge bomb wait, on us. Wait,
0: what's his, what's his favorite
1: candy? I don't know what her favorite candy is. So I'll have to ask
2: um so i guess with some of this stuff it's a like, i just think sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be and we're looking for some kind of you know really supernatural events so like oh i'm gonna try to import some meaning to this or that blood moon you know like this is signaling that god is doing something or something satanic is going to happen or you know this is going to be a I don't know we're looking for some major you know war uh, beyond the the various wars that we have already seen and encountered and witnessed so I, I don't know we look for something really specific or it must be in this particular part of the world or this people group or this sign in the sky or whatever and it's much more plain than that i guess um you know it's it's happening now we're not we don't have to I don't know. We're not looking for some supernatural sign to tell us when the end time starts. Like we've been in the, the last days for a long time now. And this is kind of, this is the normal course of things in a sinful world that will continue until Jesus returns. And so, so maybe in that regard, bringing this up can kind of say, well, you know, we can maybe take a little bit of a chill pill and relax a little bit in that sense. Like we don't have to try to, you know, divine the signs in the sky and things like, like that and try to, you know, I don't know, God has not hidden himself from us in such a way. It's like, we got to crack a code to figure out what he's talking about and like, Oh, only the most enlightened of us or whatever, understand this, you know, where we have these, well, I'm a prophecy buff. So I know all of these intricate things about revelation and so on. And so it's really not that complicated. Um, it's not some code to crack. It's, you know, it's pretty straightforward stuff that Jesus tells us, just like he speaks to his disciples in the, you know, all of it discourse, um, you know, in the Synoptic Gospels, and he's, you know, Matthew, Mark, and and Luke, when he tells them that, you know, you're going to go through all these kinds of things, you're going to experience tribulation and war and suffering, and the church will be persecuted, and people will be doing all of these things. And many of them will say, oh, we're doing this in the name of God and for the glory of God. Um, And he's telling them, all this stuff you're going to go through. So be ready for it. And that's the kind of stuff that, that John is talking about here in in revelation. Also it's like, okay, now is the stuff that Jesus was talking about. Now we're, you know, when we're going through that. And so we can be ready for that and know that that's, what's going to happen. We don't need to be wondering, oh, you know, I don't know, have we interpreted everything right? Have we found the magic key to all of it? It's pretty straightforward stuff if that makes any
3: kind of sense so are these four actual horses with four actual riders men riding them well one of them's a
1: skeleton mike already showed us the picture
2: <laughs> uh no we should oh yeah that's well, there right they go. were the wrestlers from the
1: 80s <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah or you know <laughs> I, I guess you could go all kind of like multiverses on that, and so then you have kind of the Marvel Comics iteration of the Four Horsemen. You got the pro wrestling,
3: and anyways, in Animaniacs, they are uh, four policemen that patrol um, Central Park. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: oh, I love Animaniacs.
1: It's been so long.
2: Uh, so yeah, once you know, just once again, we kind of. We want to resist the over literal interpretation of it. So it's not literally four horses riding around over all the earth, but they are the, that's the symbol that is, that is used. Cause we have, so, we understand that imagery, right. Of the, the conquering army or the con, you know, riding on horses with bows and swords set out to conquer and all of that. Like we get that, that's an image that makes sense to us. So it makes sense to describe it in those ways. And it's also, it's also building on the Old Testament background as well, both in Ezekiel and in Zechariah, I believe, have these kinds of horsemen and they speak of the same kinds of things. Um, so I think it just makes a good image because we're familiar with those kinds of things.
3: So that kind of you're answering kind of the question I was going to ask next is then why or what does it mean or what's the purpose of it if it's symbolical? Um horses and and horsemen and and then so kind of the imagery of a horse and a rider like a warrior we're thinking probably a knight on a steed right it, because mm-hmm. you don't take a camel or a donkey to war right you take a horse and uh you know thinking of a mighty warrior riding on a stallion or whatever into war this is kind of the imagery throughout the ages you know the the picture wouldn't have been like a tank or a fighter jet or something but throughout the ages the the animal of war would be the the horse right and you'd have the greatest advantage in that way and and so i think that it's it's an image that we can we can all imagine kind of what it means and and also maybe even picture the how scary that would be and and Maybe we've forgotten a little bit in our technological age where we'd be more scared of a tank or a fighter jet or a bomb, bomber plane or something, but, um, or nuclear, you know, warheads being aimed at us or something, but, you know, for, uh, for the, for people through most of time, the, one of the scariest things you could think of was, you know, an army or a warrior coming at you on a, a war horse, right. And they would have such an advantage over you that you, would, you wouldn't stand a chance. And, and so the, I think the point that I'm trying to draw attention to and that Ben was alluding to is that this symbolical picture of these four horsemen then is something that we can actually picture that, that strikes fear in our hearts and that, that sticks with us. We will, we will remember it. And I think that's why this has been so popular to focus on. In eschatology, but also in movies and TV shows, because this is a powerful image that we can all relate to, strikes fear in the hearts of men.
0: Well, we had Mike have to step away. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> so we can continue to move forward into our text. Right? Have we have we pretty much covered? a nice overview of the horses and we can oh now he's back all right mike welcome
1: back bud yeah many apologies guys i apparently am the only one in the church and we had somebody show up so nice what i miss so i mean do they want to join in uh i don't think so oh okay. <laughs> they're delivering me meat
3: so oh great
1: yeah pork not are you horse? gonna share no it's pork oh. okay
0: so
3: um, Mike Natal was just leading us into kind of, you know, maybe getting into the specifics of each of the horses since we've talked about the general uh, picture and and what's going on with that. Okay.
1: I, I did have one comment about what you had to say though, Matt. Um, you know, I may have lost a little bit of the fear of of thinking of what a, you know, like a warrior on horseback would be, but I'm still not going to pick a fight with any dude on horseback. Like it's not going to work out. I still get the fear of that a little bit. I've seen people that get kicked by a horse. It doesn't turn out well. So all right, apparently that wasn't related to what we're talking to. Let's go into verse two. <laughs> so we've got the white horse, right? Or did you guys talk about this already?
3: No. Nope. <clears throat> no, nope, nope, that's right where we're at. So
1: John looks and behold, there's a white horse. Its rider's got a bow and a crown is given to him. Uh, and he came out conquering and to conquer. I think this horse and horsemen um, are the ones where I've hit the largest number of different interpretations. There have been some really interesting stuff and, uh, that people had believed about this first horseman. Um, there are a whole lot of people that actually believe that this, this rider and, and is Jesus himself. And yet I've also heard that you know, this rider is the Antichrist. Um, and, you know, riding out to deceive the nations and to conquer. Um, what, what are we talking about with this white horse In the specifics? Is it Jesus? Is it the Antichrist? Is it both? Are they holding hands on the horse? Probably not. But what, what is it?
2: Um, some have tried to identify it with Jesus, mainly, I think, because of the, that's a white horse and that uh, the rider Has a crown. But uh, I don't think that fits very well. I don't know. All the horses are tied together, um, for one thing. So we should understand these not so much in sequence, like, oh, there's this period of time where the first horse horseman is riding throughout the earth and then the second and then the third and then the fourth but these things are all happening at the same time um and the result of you know of this first horseman as well as the others is the you know persecution of christians destruction famine war bloodshed all this kind of stuff um because this conquering by the the first horseman is not uh, a benevolent thing. Um, and so it would be very strange to, uh, have that image of Jesus because he doesn't, he's never depicted in that way. And why would he persecute his own church and bring forth all this, you know, bloodshed and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so just the, the descriptions don't really seem to fit also the, some of what I've, what I've read on this too is that all four horses are really on the same level with each other. Like they're equal in status, you know, and there is no one equal in status to the lamb, except he who sits on the throne in their Holy spirit.
3: And um, you could argue though, that like, if there was going to be one out of the four that is greater or that dominates, it's the fourth one death. Right. And that, that would be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, this is one line of argumentation that would, lead us away from this being christ on this white horse is that the death seems to be if there is a dominant one out of the four it seems maybe it could be that one um and and that would be in an appropriate picture um of of christ He certainly would not be losing in this or or be less than
0: and don't we reference it in in chapter 19 too like i don't know why we would be referencing it now being christ on the white horse when in 19 we're we're referencing it much more clearer in my opinion
2: yeah i mean just you can just kind of you know contrast the two descriptions right um you know in revelation 19 verse 11 you know he says then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war And his eyes are like a flame of fire on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows, but himself, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And it goes, and it goes on uh, from there, you know, and the sharp sword that comes from his mouth to strike down the nations and judge them with a rod of iron. And so, and he is carrying out, you know, God's wrath, right. And so just the description, you know, of Jesus there, yes, you know, he's on a white horse, but everything else is different, right? It's so much more majesty to Jesus on the white horse and what he is doing is righteous and good and true. And, and it's made very clear um, what, what it is he is doing. And that's very, very different I think than this first of the four Horsemen. And again, I think it's helpful if we remember that all of these horsemen are working together, they are accomplishing the same kinds of purposes. And so it would seem quite inappropriate to identify Jesus with the first horseman. I
3: don't and, know if this is a real good argument, but it seems a little bit strange to me that the Lamb of God would send forth Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That he he would be the one kind of sending or opening the seal and the one going and only be one of the four just seems a little bit strange to me. Um, So I don't know what you think about that argument, but, you know, the idea of why white, why a white horse. And I mean, it says he conquers and white is kind of the idea of victory. And, and so there's, it seems that this one is coming to make war he's coming with a bow bow is an image of war. Uh, Just like we think of the rainbow, actually God, aiming his war bow up at himself saying, I'm not going to attack you anymore and, and destroy the earth by flood. Right. So the bow is a picture in scripture of war. And, uh, so this is talking about battle and it appears that at least the white references military success that there will be conquering happening here, um, by the work of this rider on this white horse. And the other
2: part, too, is just that he has a bow in his hand and nowhere in in the scriptures, is Jesus described, as as having a bow. Whereas he has a sword, and a sword comes forth from his mouth, but he does not have a bow. Yes, Thanks, my cousin. No problem. I try to illustrate things. You're, you're a good representation of apocalyptic literature.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is
2: that it? Was
1: that
2: a compliment? I, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I'm gonna take it as one. <clears throat> Good night. Uh, well, Revelation 19 too, as we talked about that, like that passage talking about the rider on the on the white horse. There, it's very clearly Jesus. It doesn't give us any other option. You know, he's the one who is faithful and true. His name is the Word of God. You know, it's very clear that it is Jesus and you know, it'd be a bit of a stretch with what we have here in Revelation 6 to, to identify and, that with Christ. Yeah. And I've I've heard people make the argument that when he's talking about conquering, it's actually the gospel going forth and conquering, but that would make it completely different from the rest of the horses. And, and Ben and Matt, you guys were right. They seem to function as a unit. So I, I fully agree. It doesn't
3: seem to apply to Jesus at all. And where else in Revelation... Uh, I'm, I'm honestly wondering where else in Revelation is Jesus alluded to in any kind of subtle or elusive terms? I mean, everywhere else it's been like the most dramatic possible presentation of Christ. And so to me, I mean, this is the only time that I can remember that we are saying, oh, what's this referencing? Oh, not Jesus. <laughs> you know, maybe not, you know, and everywhere else it seems like it's pointing at him and and when it does so it does this so very dramatically and obviously so that kind of makes me wonder um if if that would be a sound interpretation here Um, but again it is a little bit unclear and and we mentioned also you know it might not be the most helpful to actually identify any of these four horsemen Uh, we were talking before the recording here that. You know, how valuable is it really to give a name to any one of these horsemen?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that it kind of detracts and distracts from the overall message, too. You know, when you when we try to pinpoint a specific person, place or location person, person, place or time, we kind of mishandle the word that god has given to us i mean if not even christ knows the time that his father has planned who are we to think that we could ever pinpoint it and even if we were able to pinpoint it it would literally be like you picking a scantron you know if you've ever taken a test and you get to it and you're like i don't know what the answer is so i'm just going to randomly pick it that would be the same as us trying to pinpoint when that's happening it would literally just be a shot in the dark and you might happen to pick the right one
2: so and um something that jason pastor jason mentioned with doctor Les uh in last well aired last week when we talked with him was how you know satan likes to uh to mimic and imitate you know um god you know present you know like for example false christs right um and things like that. And we talked about how, you know, the, you know, kind of the false Trinity of, you know, of Satan trying to, you know, he tries to imitate the Holy Trinity or his mark is a corruption of imitation mockery of the mark that God places on his people in Holy baptism, for example. And so this can be a same, same kind of, of thing too, that it would make sense that, you know, um, that satanic forces are, you know, basically just, you know, sinful human beings driven by, you know, incited by the devil and so on would, would come appearing as if they were Messiah, savior, you know, I mean, how many times have evil regimes come to power claiming basically to be saviors, right? Um, And so we could imagine that they would come forth in white garb looking like they are, you know, conquering king and ruler and savior has come and all the while it's a, it's a false imitation of that. And they're really doing evil, but they're dressing it up and making it look good. And it's kind of a mockery of uh, the one true Christ. So we could think about it in, in that way too. Um, it does just because the color white is there and the crown doesn't uh, require it to be Jesus himself. Um, and then as far as Mike, you mentioned, you know, some have taken it to be antichrist as in a specific person. Um, again, I think we have some, some difficulty with that, just with the whole, you know, as we were just talking about trying to, that would require kind of nailing down a particular person to be this rider. Um, and then you're kind of left wondering, well, did I get the right person in the right time and so on and so forth. And depending on how far off you are on that, you completely miss the whole thing. If it's sp- speaking to this specific person person and then we also just really re- remember that you know antichrist is spoken of particularly by john in his letters and there are multiple you know there's antichrist and antichrist and they have already been in the world and are in the world and so on and so forth um revelation doesn't you know antichrist isn't mentioned in revelation um we could see figures that would maybe you know could certainly be of the same spirit of, you know, the way John speaks of Antichrist in his letters, but we don't have that particular person. And part of the trouble is, again, if we go try and looking for a a particular person, um, it really fights against uh, a pretty major theme of scripture that Jesus can return at any time. And so if we're waiting for this one particular Antichrist person to come, then we have to conclude that if, if that is correct, then we have to, conclude no jesus can't come back tonight tomorrow because we don't see this figure we don't have this particular antichrist riding around the world basically conquering the world and and all this kind of stuff and so um we we still need to be guided by the you know very strong and general themes in scripture that jesus can return at any time that's that's why it's so urgent for us to um to be brought to repentance and faith because we don't know when Jesus is returning. And so whenever it is that he comes back, well, all this stuff must in some way be taking place because here it is and he hasn't yet returned. So, so then we're kind of stuck with, Oh, well, this is, you know, going to be, you know, 20 years down the road with particular antichrist person or whatever. And then, you know, Jesus comes back tonight. Well, then where is all that? We basically just catapulted a, jettisoned a whole por- portion of scripture out of the Bible because we had our particular timeline set and that was goofy enough. So, so I think we should understand it's much more broad than that. And so we can see, um, I and mean, we see that all the time, you know, various government regimes or this people group or that people group, you know, whatever throughout the world, throughout all of this time, they seek to conquer for their own, uh, means and their own ends for you know whatever purposes and so we see this playing out over and over and over and over again oh maybe it's chuck norris maybe he's the first rider <laughs> he could well no i'm pretty sure chuck
1: norris if there is a supreme rider he would be deaf hmm. you know he would be the fourth rider we gotta just give him his due here
3: mm. <laughs> Wait, do, do we do we need to say something like chuck norris doesn't ride the horse the horse rides chuck norris or something like that i don't know, I don't know chuck but. norris
2: versus the Horseman of the apocalypse
3: <laughs> <laughs> trying <and> to find <laughs> that image there mike well i think I uh, you know to maybe make another connection here with what ben is saying um we a reminder of how we are understanding all of this to be working out that this is not um giving a predictive timeline like a chronological timeline and particularly one that is revealing a timeline in the future where we then have to wait for all of these events to unfold um, one after the other on a strict timeline that that gets us into a lot of trouble with um, weird interpretations about multiple comings of Christ, like Pastor Jason mentioned um, last week and then um, but we also recognize that that then becomes a problem not only with Jesus not being able to come back right now but it also makes the the message of revelation seem really useless to the church through the ages and we recognize that that through all of the ages of the church we have encountered these kind of troubles and and as we go through these trials and tribulations of and experiencing war and, and famine and pestilence and, and death and all of these things, you know, that God has a message for us in the midst of all of it and a message of comfort. And, and we believe that's what he is doing with the, these images in revelation. um, And that this represents then all of the time of the church after these visions were given And so it's a message for the church of all time as we go through these kinds of troubles. And that, you know, just like the church throughout all of the years previous, that we all have been saying Jesus could come today and he's coming very soon and we all need to be ready right now. And we all experience these kinds of troubles in the world. I think that's, you know, the kind of point that we're seeing and that. It makes more sense then as we look at how Revelation is structured and the patterns and how it's being presented that this, um, along with the other uh, parts of the vision here, these different perspectives are all talking about the same time period um, from different perspectives with different emphasis.
0: You know, uh, I Google search Chuck Norris and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And while I didn't find something nearly as epic as I wanted it to, I did find this, which is maybe worth sharing. Here's a good one.
1: (laughs) Just drinking the coronavirus.
0: Drinking coronavirus, because that kind of goes with, you know, where does the coronavirus fit in with this? I don't know. I was expecting, so to be honest with you, if there's somebody out there who's good at Photoshopping, I was expecting to Google search it and literally just see Chuck Norris's face on the four horsemen and on the horses. (laughs) So if there's somebody good with Photoshop, you let me know if you want a shout out to uh, God's Word During Exile. We will use that for the next until we get done with the four horsemen. Any chance we get.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: And if it's one of of Mike's uh, youth group kids, uh, Mike will give you $10.
1: Yeah, sure, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's a good segue to roll us into verse three, huh? We're still going to finish this. We got, what, nine minutes left? We're going to finish all this today. Uh, so verse three, we got, a, we got a kind of a copy of what happened in verse one. Uh, the lamb, the worthy one, Jesus opens that second seal, and then you hear another living creature say, come, and then we have another horse there in, in verse four. This one, though, is bright red i think i saw a translation that said blood red too i didn't check to see if that was helpful or not uh its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword uh before we started the video today uh ben told me that this is the nation or the country of russia um (laughs) but I don't remember why. So we'll toss it over to Ben and he can tell us why the red horse is Russia.
2: (laughs) I don't think I said that, but, um, it has been suggested, but you were saying that somebody else
3: said that. (laughs) Yes.
2: Uh, it has been suggested by, by some that it is Russia, but again, that's, it's kind of a misguided way of, of taking a look at these things. Um, it's kind of interesting though. Um, maybe this is something of a, of a random thought, but, um, so the rider is permitted to take peace from, from the earth. Right. So that there's warfare and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, it just kind of makes me think of the, I guess it was a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, um, that became the, the song. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas day. Are you familiar with that song? I heard the bells on Christmas day. Um, you know, and he keeps repeating over and over in that, you know, the song of the angels at the birth of Christ, right. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And, you know, and Longfellow's writing this poem and he's like, as I'm looking around the world, you know, I don't see, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it, and it kind of ends in his hope that that will one day be returned. And, and and part of the whole point is he's, he's misunderstanding the words of the angels. They're not announcing that there's a ceasefire to all warfare, on earth with the birth of Christ, um, but a different kind of peace. Um, but peace on earth will come at the return of Christ. But it's just kind of just made me think of this because we that's exactly what we see, right? And we might get confused by that when we hear the scriptures speak of peace, um, or like when the angels announce peace on earth and you know goodwill toward men on whom God's favor rests. And we look around and say, oh, there's no there's really no peace on earth, right? Um, you know how much you know warfare and, and fighting and violence is there, and so one. It's a good reminder, you know, for us that we will not find um, we will not find peace on earth in this age. And sometimes it sometimes we try to achieve these things as if you know by our own human power and achievement we can bring peace to this earth. And you know we hear those cries all the time, or de- varying. Uh governmental regimes or whatever, trying to bring about you know utopia on earth, and they say peace, but what they really mean is everyone who disagrees with us is going to die. Um, so it's really not peace, right? Um, and so it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting thing that peace that is taken from the earth in accordance with this writer, uh, will really only return in full when. Jesus returns and makes all things new. Uh, and so, yeah, we see that all the time, right? That we really don't have peace on this earth. There is always somewhere violence and killing
3: and bloodshed, hence the red horse. So an observation here, we're starting to see a pattern um, now that this, that there's another seal opened and remember it's the lamb opening the seal. This is coming from the Lord. Notice again that there that it is one of the living creatures, a different one. Now the second living creature that says come. And so this is mediated, meaning God is doing this, but he's doing it through one of the living creatures. And we're going to see this pattern continue um, throughout the, the four seals with the four horsemen, um, but then, um, then it changes after that. So we'll talk about that when we get there, that it's then unmediated. But here God is using these living creatures that we had had presented um, in the previous chapters. But um, also it, it mentions you know, that the rider comes to take peace from the earth, and i don't know if this is the best place to bring up the this idea but uh, in thinking through all of this you know why why would god be allowing these bad things to be coming you know from him Why, you know in his sovereignty why is he allowing this to to come forth on the earth seems like you know that would be a bad thing for god to be okay with war and now with this rider taking peace from the earth um you know is god cruel or or wicked that he would allow this and uh it brings to mind then the idea of or the the images that we are given from job and what's happening we're kind of get a getting a picture behind the scenes that that you've got job this godly man that god was protecting he he loved god had faith in god and and uh and God was protecting him and and Satan wants to torment job and he and uh but he has to go before God and report to him and ask for permission and God allows the devil to work then um on job and and so it is actually the devil who is bringing these troubles on job directly, and he's responsible for his own wickedness, but we still see that God is in control and God had been maintaining peace for Job and he allowed it to be removed and, and for Job to be afflicted in these various ways while still providing some protection on him. Um, And, and so we see that God's work in the world is actually to bring good and blessing and peace. And, and so the, Um, the taking of peace from earth appears that God is allowing the protection to be removed and for this wickedness to happen. And yet we would argue and believe that the scriptures are teaching that God is not uh, directly doing evil or wickedness on earth, but he's allowing it to be taken away for a purpose. And so I think that part of the question then is if that's true, then what is the, the purpose for allowing these bad things to happen on earth? You're just going to ask the question and not answer it, Matt? I'm just teeing it up for you, Mike. Mm.
1: I don't know if I'm qualified for this one. I don't know if I'm qualified for this one. What is the purpose of bad things happening so that I will cry? That's what Ben tells me every time something bad happens to me, right, Ben? No
0: way, dude. That's what what you said about (laughs) junk. Like two weeks ago,
1: <laughs> you know. As I as I think about these <laughs> these bad things that are that are coming on the earth, we've got you know the guy conquering the white horse. We've got peace being taken. We're gonna see as we get to these next horsemen um, next week because I lied. We're not gonna make it all the way through. What they actually remind me of is it's a passage way back in the Old Testament you know, many, many years ago when God was setting his people free from the land of Israel, right? And he sends the plagues upon Egypt It sends all of those plagues. And they start with things like turning the, the water to blood and they end with the death of the firstborn son and terrible stuff. There's a lot of suffering and really difficult stuff that happens there. But God, God tells us what his purpose is in sending those plagues. It's not just that his people would go free. That was part of it. But God also wants the Egyptians and the Israelites to know that he is the one true God. As he sends these plagues, part of the purpose is repentance and faith. He wants people to be saved. Um, And so he sends the plagues as, as, as part of that, that as they see his hand working, they might trust in him as the one true God. And I, and I think we've got some parallels here. As we see these things happening upon the earth, when we see war, when we see famine that we're going to hit later, pestilence, COVID, right? We see all these things. We see death. What should our response be? Lord, have mercy. I am a sinner. I'm a sinful man from, you know, you know a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I am undone. Forgive me. And he promises to do so in and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, was that the answer you were hoping for, Matt? You're muted, buddy. You're still muted, buddy.
3: Okay, there we go. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's that's a great observation. I love how you point out that God it has a gracious purpose both for believers and unbelievers that he wants us all to repent and believe and be saved. Right. Um, And and I think of in the book of Hebrews, how it explains that God disciplines those he loves and for his his people, we are still rebellious and prone to wander. And the Lord disciplines us that we continue to trust in him and repent of our sins and and ask for forgiveness and find find peace in Christ and hope for the future um, also he wants to convert many others, all, all of the elect to bring them in into the kingdom. And he's, he's doing that. And we see then bringing it back to Job, we see that even though bad things happen to Job, terrible, terrible things, um, ultimately God blessed him with even more than he ever had at the beginning. And God had not abandoned Job in all of that. And and he had wanted to um, bless him even more, and he did. And, and so through all of this, we see that God is in control. God is not wicked, and he, he is not responsible for evil things or, or calamities that come upon the earth. Uh, but even in the midst of all of that evil that the devil does want to bring upon us, the Lord's in control, and he's allowing some things— That are bad, but for the purpose of good, because he wants us to repent and trust in him that he can give us eternal life and eternal blessing. And so I know there's a lot wrapped up in these things that we're looking at here, but I think even though, even in a troubling passage that many think um, brings fear and worry to our hearts, we can actually find a great comfort in it. And to see that the lamb is in control through all of this. And uh, we we then remember that the lamb shed its blood and is enthroned on the throne of God, right? And uh, we then think of the picture of of uh, Christ, the lamb coming with that sword out of his mouth, victorious in the end over, over everything. And so I think that th- we can actually find great hope and encouragement in this. It's kind of scary passage right here.
0: You're not going to put the sword in your mouth. The
3: one time he forgets, there. Well, should we wrap this thing up with some prayer? <laughs> I think so. I think <laughs> all right. And uh, we'll we'll come back and we'll wrap up the the horsemen and move on through the rest of the seals next week. So let's pray, Lord. We thank you so much for. Uh, this message and and for your word and the picture of the Lamb opening these seals, we know that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the only one worthy to do this and it's hard, Lord sometimes to understand the troubles of this world. I know many through the ages have been puzzled with the the problem of of death and the problem of uh war and prob- and uh all the problems in our world and and people wondering, well, if God really is con- in control, and if he's really good, then why are all these bad things happening? And, um, and rather than uh, uh, despairing or, or living in fear and trepidation, we, I pray that we would see, Lord, that, that you have allowed uh, even bad things in this world uh, for good purposes. And, and that uh, really the source of, of evil and wickedness is our sin and the devil but uh, the, even through the troubles caused by our own sin and the evil one's uh, plans, you still bring good things out from it. And, and you, you can even use the devil's wiles and his ways for disciplining us because you love us and also causing unbelievers to cry out to you for, for help and for deliverance that they too might be saved and experience the forgiveness of their sins from the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, and the eternal life that comes uh, for all those who trust in him. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, as we look at our world and all these troubles, we would cry out to you as well and find hope in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Thanks, guys.
2: uh, (laughs) Closing it up with Ric Flair. Outstanding.